Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. So, we've been in Amos, and Amos is a minor prophet just because it's a shorter book. And Amos um, is uh, prophesying around the 8th century, and he is prophesying, he's from Judah, which is the, at this point, Israel's divided, two southern kingdoms, they're called Judah, and then the ten northern kingdoms are called Israel, and he's in the like mid-8th century, so 750, 760, somewhere in there, he prophesies there. And Israel is in its greatest time ever, like one of the you know greatest times in their history from a secular uh, or even sacred point of view, you might say. And so they had uh, great privileges because they were God's people, but great privileges, and, and check this out, come with responsibility. Uh, that, that's the thing, even the gospel. So we say you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That salvation, that grace that you have received comes with responsibility. You're not, you're, you are not trying to gain acceptance with God, but because you are accepted with God and brought into his family out of a desire, filled, a, heart, a heart filled with gratitude, you want to live a life pleasing to him, not appeasing him. You want to please him and not appease him. So the bigger he is in your eyes, the greater the sacrifice of Christ is in your heart, the more you want to please the Lord. Now, you say, okay, so what, what does that mean? Now, here I would add one other thing. In the strength that God provides. You're trusting in the Spirit's work to guide you to live a life of gratitude by offering yourself to God, time, resources, and talents, holy and this is acceptable to God he thinks this is good you should think it was good you should long for that you should want that and so you strive to do that in the strength that he provides uh, knowing that you're going to as we talk about every week in service you're never going to really live up to that and so you just say Lord you know I'm flesh and I need your help over and over and over I need you to help me so what happened with them, though, is they got these great privileges. They wanted to shuck the responsibility. And so they wanted all the privileges and, and, and no responsibility. And so they became very self-centered. Have you ever met somebody that maybe, maybe over a long period of time, they stored up wealth, let's say. And instead of this, and so they would say those are gifts from God. And the danger in that is they would say that's a gift from God, but then it turns them more inward. The gifts from God become means by which they can pamper themselves, right? And so they want more and more for themselves, which is the exact opposite of what grace produces. Grace in your life or gifts from God or privilege should not produce in us a, a greater desire to be uh, to pamper ourselves, but the idea would be that the more that God gives to you, again, if you see it all as a gift, as God serving and blessing you in, in certain ways, is Him giving you gifts and open the doors, He's the one that gives opportunity, rather than always thinking like, how can I pamper myself more, which you can find a long list of people that do that, you're saying, hold on, the greater the privileges and gifts and whatever, the more responsibility I have to give those away 
to serve others with them. So I can either pamper myself, which would be some, something of what Israel did, or I can like put it to use in the service of others. Now, we just talked about financial things. It could be anything. Some of you have gifts that you could use, and you keep you know, working at those, and eventually you get really good at that. And when you get good at it, you can either use it to your end or you can use it to the Lord's end. That's just kind of what's going on there. So I just want you to think about that because what happened is this budding nation who have been greatly blessed, you might say, have they still do all the stuff, but they don't seek the Lord. They do not seek the Lord. They have everything else that looks right except for the fact that the Lord is not pleased with them, which is everything. That's the whole thing. Like, that's the most important thing. And so, the question then, I think, for us this morning is, you know, like, what voice do I need to listen to to kind of get back on track? How do I know it's a voice from God? Is it important? That's a huge deal today. So I think what we're trying to look at and just say, uh, are we are we saying, are we going to listen to the truth? Like, sometimes the more prosperous you are, the more you can block yourself from anybody speaking to you or the closer you hold things to yourself i mean so one deal would be like you know if you lived in a really uh, nice neighborhood and you said like you know what everybody got together and was like let's have a gated community and everybody's like that would be awesome nobody can come in here right and so you know there's doors there and you've just kept yourself from people coming into your neighborhood and you may have multiple reasons why that would be valuable but, but it's just important, I think, just to note that because you're saying, but here's the thing. Uh, Amos, like, comes through the gated community and he starts talking and singing songs and all the stuff is confronting these people who think that, hey, they're doing so great. And when he starts to speak to them, eventually, they're, you know, they're like calling security saying, get this foolish man out of our faces. I thought we had the gated community so that you could keep him out. Because I don't really want to hear what he has to say. Hang up the phone. Call again. I thought I told y'all, get him out of here. I get sick of hearing his words. Boom. Hang up the phone. And so it's kind of what's going on here today. We're thinking in terms of the more prosperous, the more kind of self-oriented they become, the more deceived they are about their condition, the more complacent they become, and it, it brings them to this horrendous situation. Now, I stop there and just say to you this morning, we're looking at today, we're saying here's the role of the prophet to speak the truth. Today he's going to speak in visions. And then we're going to look at the authority of the prophet in verses 10 through 17. So we're looking at all of chapter 7. So let's look at this. First, the, the truth that he speaks. So the role of the prophet is to speak the truth. We're going to have to decide, okay, is he telling the truth? And we say, is it consistent? And it is with God's revelation and who God is. And so we say, okay, we must listen to him. This is not a voice you want to silence. This is not a voice you want to medicate away. This is not a voice that you want to push out of your life. This is a voice that is an alarm, and it is a piercing alarm for a reason. And so that's what he's doing. So vision number one, verse one. You see that? He sees these forming locusts, and the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. So probably the king, the first kind of growth 
he would take uh, his, it would be not a a tax, and he would kind of take what, you know, the first fruits of things, he'd take it out, and he would have that for his army and all his stuff, and then here, uh, the, so so that that's already been taken, and now the the next growth has is coming up and um, beginning to sprout, you could say. And um, it, it's it, it's the time when not only are, are some of the grains and stuff coming up, a lot of the fruit would be coming, and then these locusts show up, and they're going to take everything. And locusts, you know, like if you kind of read about them. Uh, you there you know you can today I mean I've looked them up and you can you find them in Africa in the Middle East and Asia uh, there's some 60 countries one fifth of the Earth's land surface that they uh, move around in I guess you could say and um, for a lot of people I mean they it, they could take everything from them uh, the desert locust uh, swarm can be like 460 square miles in size and pack between 40 and 80 million locusts into less than one square mile, so that uh, each locust can kind of eat its weight in plants each day, so the swarm could take on eating or devouring 423 million pounds of plants every day. So when they show up, and they sweep around, you can go look it up, there have been locust swarms uh, in our, our near history. In 1954, there was one where they flew from like Northwest Africa to Great Britain in 1988. Another made the lengthy, lengthy trek between West, from West Africa to the Caribbean. So they like to move, and they like to move quickly and swiftly, and they like to devour everything. And so Amos uh, sees this. Um, and this actually does remind you not only of things that are in our natural world that we see, but also with Egypt. The Lord sent uh, that, it said, basically, they had everything that was green. Everything sprouting up, everything coming up. Verse 2, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God. What, what's he saying? So he saw, what, he saw in this vision all that had taken place, and he was uh, shocked by it, to say the least. Um, sometimes when we think about prophet, they're just speaking to the people, but other times they're representing the people before God. And you see that throughout the Bible. You can put Genesis 27 uh, down, uh, Genesis 18, 23 through 33. Uh, that particular verse, Abraham uh, intercedes for Sodom. Moses does the same for the people in Numbers 14, 11 through 14. And so there's this praying for the people. They, they, cap, they get this vision and then they pray. I don't know if that ever happens to you. It does with me. I, they're not visions necessarily but I will see uh, somebody and watch their life or something and I, I you know maybe I know details maybe I know details they don't know I know and so I just but I just know things that are going on because someone's told me for whatever reason or I overheard it or what well, something happened or sometimes I'm thinking about somebody and I've been praying for them and I'm thinking like I, I know that these particular temptations are coming their way you know, just because of the nature of where they are and what's going on in their life and the season that they are in or whatever it might be. And I might begin to pray, but this deal with Amos, he actually sees a vision. And it is actually like God-given. And it is like a legitimate thing. God is expressly, I may see in my mind like this is something coming this person's way. This is what's going on. And I intercede. You probably do that too. 
you pray for people. You pray God's like blessing. You pray God's protection. You pray God to sustain them and keep them. You have lots of prayers that you do, but he sees this clearly, and that's what uh, is taking place. So he sees it. Now look at this. Amos sees what's about to take place, and he says, Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. Remember, right now they think they're really big. Like, that's in their minds... They think they're so big, like big shots kind of thing or whatever. They think they're so big. But Amos can see with a spiritual vision, a literal vision that the Lord sets before him, different than something we would see. He can see exactly what is about to take place, and it drives him to his needs. His needs. He knew, though, he knew how messed up these people were, but still he wanted good for them. He wanted the Lord to protect them. Please forgive. Look, how can he stand? He's so small. He he sees them for what they are. They're big shots in their eyes, in the Lord's eyes, in, in Amos's eyes, as the Lord reveals it to him. They are very small. They are undeserving. And they are not strong. They consider themselves strong, but they are not strong. He says he is so small, and it says that the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. And so the means by which God uses Amos in that moment in this intercession where he's praying, the means that he uses here is for him to uh, be able to participate in the staying of God's hand at some level. We're going to talk about that further in a minute. The second vision is the vision of a consuming fire. And you'll see, uh, it, it almost, we don't know if this is like lava coming up from the earth or if it's like a scorching heat. Again, then I said, O oh Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord resented, uh, relented concerning this. This also shall not be, says the Lord God. Okay, so it's, it's not that he's asking the Lord to pardon Israel. Uh, this time he asks the Lord to cease what he is doing. And once again, the Lord relents of his judgment. It's just important, I think, to see that, this fiery judgment. Every believer, I, I think this is important just to say, should rejoice in knowing we have a Savior seated at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Intercession is huge for us. We want to know. Will he intercede? Will he pray on our behalf? And not only that, we get a lot of blessing out of seeing other people praying for us. And so he is, he's longing. That the, Amos really has the heart of God to warn and then to have them respond properly and him extend mercy. I mean, God loves to extend mercy. He's been doing that over and over and over with Israel. And so I think it's just important to say, some people talk about this word relent a lot, or God changing his mind kind of thing. I think one is to say, like, man, a lot of times the human language, God uses that to help us understand and kind of convey thoughts about him, understand him more clearly. And uh, so we're kind of limited in our understanding, but there is a way in which 
he is working out this dramatic picture where he is guiding the prophet, helping him see how horrific things are, and then following it up with uh, 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 moving in the heart of that prophet to have his heart, which is, Lord, pull back your hand. So the word does not mean so much a change of mind, but more a change of course. And God lets his people participate in that. And you get to participate in that, that you're praying on behalf of others. The Lord moves your heart. And some of the means that God uses to accomplish his plan on this earth is the prayer of his saints. Now, you might say, well, hold on a second. They deserve judgment. Doesn't God judge? Is he going to, like, let all this go? Um, We know this in an ultimate sense. Now, there are times where I think the Lord does pull back his hand from, like, bringing, like, strict judgment on people in the moment. But in an ultimate sense, God will judge sin, and he's either going to judge it on the cross, or has, or people will spend eternity in hell. Like, those are the two ways. That, that's just the reality. So you just kind of have to get that in your mind. So when you see this vision, and God pulls back and does not execute judgment in its fullest sense right then, doesn't mean God does that sometimes. There's no doubt that he does that. Uh, he changes course as his saints pray. We see that throughout the Bible. But it's not that as if that sin will not be punished. They will either find themselves in the mercy of Christ or they will be outside of that and face his judgment. So we, we, as we kind of like move forward, I just want you to think about that because there are some times, I do not think this is normal necessarily. I, I've, I've known people that kind of like wanted to get everybody in their family saved like in the last hour of their life. They walk in there and be like, do you believe? And like pray this prayer. And, you know, everybody's like, and that's, and again, people are converted at the end. I don't think that's the normal thing. I, I don't, I think sometimes like if I said to somebody, do you want to go to hell or heaven? Everybody in the room would say heaven. Nobody's going to say, I want to go to hell. You know, it's like, what? What are you talking about? So if that's just a criteria, they don't really want God. They, they want heaven whether God is there or not, right? And that, nobody wants to go to hell if it's a place of torment and punishment. And so I think it's just important to say there are moments where people, though, are converted at the very end of their life. In this case with Israel, I think you would say something like, you remember the two thieves on the cross? One of them sitting there at the last moments of his life looking over at Jesus and Jesus saying, today you will be with me in paradise. And the other one uttering curses over him. These two visions are like final moments. They're final moments in the life of Israel as a people. Again, those northern tribes, it's their final moment. It's just, you might say, well, yeah, but it didn't happen for 40 years. I'm just telling you, it's at the end. And some of you may be right now saying, like, I'll think about real spiritual following God things later, but I'm just saying, like, God's sending warnings along the way, but it's almost like uh, one guy said, like, there's two strikes, and this third thing that's coming, vision is coming, they're out. And, and for you in your life, I think you have to say, like, if God in His kindness has given you moments, 
if He's woke you up before, if He's caused you to think about your spiritual condition, and He does that over and over, how much longer are you going to sit there and be like, nah, well, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that sin later. I'll deal with this later. And the deal is, is like, God is saying this sin is killing you, corrupting you, destroying the nation within, hurting other people, and you better abandon it and seek God. That's what he's saying. And Israel's saying, we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the prophet. I don't want to hear God's word. I don't want to hear nothing. I'm going my own way. And they don't understand there's only one more pitch. And that last pitch is they're going to be out. And out means God will not change course again. Verse 7. Third vision. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. Y'all know, I mean, of course, you probably do know what a little plumb line is. It's just basically you could have a rock or you could have a, a little bob kind of thing. It looks like a little bobber-like thing um, that's weighted, and you can, like, hang it on a wall. If we wanted to see if, you know, like a corner of a, if we were building something, you wanted to see that everything was squared up, you could hang it up, and it would be straight. And if your wall was, like, crooked vertically, you would see it. So you could go up there and measure and be like, well, there's three inches from the line to this board. And now there's like down here, there's like one inch. And so you know that the, the wall's kind of like crooked. That's what it says. God sets the plumb line up and he says, Israel, you're crooked. And you're about to be torn down. Like, here's the thing. I don't feel crooked. I'm so, I, I feel really good. I'm a great person. I mean, we do blah, blah, blah. I don't, I'm not crooked. You know, my friends are, you know, or something, you know, like, what are you talking about? Like, what does the word of God say, period? Not, not the words of God that you don't want to hear. I'm t- I'm not, the, not like, oh, I've got four verses that I've memorized, you know, at 10. And that's, I'm good with regard to those. Like, I'm not. I'm saying as the word is revealed to us, what does it say about someone who is walking with the Lord faithfully? Where do you stand in that? And so the Lord says, I've set before you the line, or Amos, I've set the line before them. They are crooked. They're about to be torn down. It's over. So here's the thing, just to kind of man put this in your mind, and this is for any age. If you're younger here, like, just because, like, your every generation can see the sins of the former generation maybe more clearly, and the former generation can see the sins of the present generation maybe more clearly, in both cases, there's sin. And just because your generation maybe doesn't want to address this specific sin, and that generation doesn't want to address this specific sin, there's still sin. 
Generations still sin. Nations still sin. Nations sinned in the 1950s, in the 1850s, in the 20, whatever, 20s. Nations sin. People sin. People live in rebellion. People break God's law. People neglect things that are weighty to Him. And in the same way in the church, there are times where it's like, hold on just a second, just because like everybody in the room agrees that this is wrong and they neglect this other thing that's wrong, that doesn't, God doesn't, that doesn't matter. That, that's not the biggest question. Is whether or not your like, I don't know, own correspondence together says it's right or wrong right now. Who cares? The question is, what does God say? That, that's the only question. What does he call straight? Irregardless of what you think is crooked. Because you may say, this is crooked. And you may so be so fixated on one crooked thing. And then somebody over here is so fixated on one crooked thing. And both of you have a public platform. And you're fixated here, and you're fixated here, and you feel so great about it, and you get around with all your friends, and they're talking about it, and that's so great, except for the fact that you need to say to yourself, what does God say really matters? And just stop. And maybe you have to turn off all those voices and spend time in the Word and say, what does He value? What does God say is good and right and just and true? Because the standards of the day change. Every generation had standards for their day and they were not all Right, because every culture is filled with sin and every culture is struggling with all types of things. And so, you have to go to the eternal standards of God's Word. And this is what He says to them. Y'all are crooked. I will never again pass by them. What is He saying? He will not show mercy any longer. Their chances are up. They've struck out. The wall's being torn down. That's the picture. Verse 9, the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So he's going to tear down the two institutions of religion and the monarchy. So, what do we do with that? One thing to say is this right here. You ready? One like clear teaching, we just keep telling ourselves, it is through the work of Christ that we come to the Father there is no other way. There is no other way. There is no other way. Jesus' perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection is the hope that we have as His people. Those who ascend the hill of the Lord. There, there's only one way to come. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. The only way we could have totally clean hands and a pure heart is through Christ's work, His perfect work. That's what Jesus came, that's what we studied in Hebrews, to not only cleanse us, 
but to give us a new heart. Wrapped up in the gospel, in the new covenant, is this better mediator that could actually change us forever. He could cleanse us of our sins and give us a new heart so we desire to do the will of God. That's what he says. And so if you said, which I've had lots of friends over the years, like they're pretty good people, they don't know about Jesus, they pray to God, they have this long list of things, and you have to say, no, you don't understand, there is, your sin is greater than you ever imagined, when if God was to set before you a picture of your reality apart from Christ, it would be total destruction. And your only hope, then, is that you could be given a pure heart and you could have clean hands. And no matter of how long you sat there and scrubbed, and no matter like what you do to try to do that, it, at the end of the day, if you do not accept Christ's clean hands and pure heart, you have no hope. You are done. You're a dead man walking. You are going to strike out. You are hopeless and without any hope forever. So, that I think is important to say. And then you would say, and we need to say to one another, when we're looking at all of this, we just need to stop and say, okay, with that being the case, then, what, what, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? I would say, like, uh, one who is following the Lord is constantly reminded in gratitude of all that the Lord has done, then he wants to be pleasing to the Lord with his life. He wants to glorify God and serve other people, and that should manifest itself throughout our life. And that's something we should strive for. Now, so we see the role of the prophet to speak the truth, and that's what I want to quickly show you the authority of the behind the prophet. You ready? Just look real quick with me. Amaziah thought that the king was the authority. Verse 10 and 11. You see that? He thought these governing authorities, they were the authority. And there are a lot of people today, depending on who's in power, you may like it or not like it. You know, like that, depending on who's in power, in authority at the time. You may say, I hate the authority, I love the authority. But they're not the ultimate authority. He thought of the king as the ultimate authority. And he says, hey, king, which he makes stuff up about uh, Amos, he says, Amos is trying to instigate a conspiracy against you. And so he's trying to get the king to move, to do something. He said, Amos says you're going to die by the sword, blah, blah, blah. Like, come deal with this guy. The second one, which is really big in the religious establishment world, right? Um, Amaziah comes to Amos and says, oh, seer, flee away. Get out of here. Go make your bread somewhere else. We don't want you in town anymore. And you see that, um, it's, it's almost like he doesn't realize that Amos doesn't need anybody's money. He's got two jobs, you know? And there are two, one job's very lucrative job in that time period. And so he didn't need anybody's money. God was going to, like God had called him to do something. I don't even know. Amos may have spent like two weeks being a prophet his whole life. He may have went down there, said what God told him to say, and said, like, see, you guys, I'm not hanging around for what's about to happen to you, you know? But I think it's just important to say that, like, a lot of times when a prophet comes, you have, like, 
the magistrate might come after him or the religious world. Both of those happened to Jesus, right? But irregardless of whether or not somebody responds in that way, at the end of the day, you stand by the truth. Third, Amos speaks about it. He says, I'm no prophet or son of a prophet. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm like in the, in the business of, of tending to animals and, and farming. Like I'm a rancher and a farmer. Like I don't, I don't have anything to do with that. God just said, go tell these people this, and I've told it to you. And so he does have authority. God called him out to do it for whatever time that is. And then he had the authority of the revelation. God said, here it is. Here's what you're to say. And he also commissioned by God. So all of those are the case. And trouble comes with that a lot. And I would just say to you when you're thinking about it, even if you do have the authority, know this in this present world, whether we stand as a church or as an individual you're teaching or whatever, or in your family or in your workplace or in the gov- with the government, all that kind of stuff, you may face great trouble like Amos did at the end of the day. You have authority that's higher than them. Your authority comes down from heaven, and God will be on the throne past them by infinity, right? And so we just stand fast to the truth over and over. Now, the fourth authority we kind of see here, because we're saying, what's behind this? This is the true authority that Amos has. And we see Amos is coming because the word of the Lord had come to him. He says to this man, let me tell you something. Your life is going to be a picture of what Israel's going through. Your authority will be stripped away from you, and God's authority will stand forever. So he, he lists five things that will happen to the life of his family, to his life. It will all come crumbling down. So what would I say to you today when we look at this? The true prophet, we speak the truth. That's what we say. We, we have this prophetic word. We have the Bible. We speak the truth. We speak the truth. We make it clear. We, we long for God to show mercy, which he does so often. But at the end of the day, we speak the truth. And then the other thing, say, like, you stand on, I mean, you stand on the Lord, the Lord. Like, you stand under his authority. You, you stand there saying, Thus saith the Lord, this is the truth. That's what we do. And so I just want to encourage you, as a person in your family, holidays coming up, get to see everybody. Uh, if, the, if the Lord, like if you're spending time with someone and, and you need to like stand fast or hold fast to the truth, like that's part of it. If there's trouble, there's trouble. Amos stood fast in the truth. He held fast to the truth. It's not that you hate on somebody. It's not that you dislike them. It's not that they're your enemy. That's not the deal. We're not looking around and saying, I want to pick a fight with everybody that's an enemy that doesn't think like me. No, the true prophet uh, under God's uh, leading will speak the truth. They speak the truth in love. They intercede on behalf of those who are not listening to it, but they ultimately stand with the truth irregardless of anything else. And so, the only hope that you, our neighbors, co-workers, friends, family, uh, whoever, magistrates, whoever, religious leaders, the only hope that any of us have is that we would heed the truth of God, submit to Him, turn away from our wickedness, and trust Him alone to save us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask for wisdom to receive what you say. We pray for hearts that are soft, 
We pray, Lord, that you'd give us voices that are strong but kind. Voices that long to see the hearer repent. Unlike Jonah, who longed to never see people repent, may we, like Amos, pray. And that we, we would pray that you would give people time to turn to you. Lord, I pray as we see our families and friends and those around us and co-workers, Lord, I pray we would be a beacon of light to them. And when we cast that light out, I pray we would do so with the heart of one who longs to see people turn. Lord, if there are some of our families, we have children and maybe grandchildren that we're hoping to see them come to know the Lord. We pray that you would do that work in them and that they would see and savor Christ and turn to him as their only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time, we take the Lord's